homecoming and hope that you plan to stay with, for the meal afterwards. And, and when I walked by over there, everything was looking good. And um, I'm already hungry. I tend to skip breakfast on homecoming Sunday. Uh, and I probably shouldn't have done that because now I'm hungry and I'll be thinking about that through the whole sermon. So maybe you'll get a quick one uh, today. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, glad that you're here today and um, hope that you um, trust in the Lord. And homecoming to me, again, as I said before, is always about um, looking forward to heaven. And looking forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb <clears throat> where we all come back together as believers and saints of God. You have to excuse me a minute. We were outside um, yesterday, most of the day, and the wind blowing pretty hard and uh, kicked up all those allergens and dust. And I'm thankful that the Lord has let me talk today <laughs> because of that. Um, but we had a good time yesterday. I, I'll just say, I, I meant to mention this earlier. We had a good time over at Bowman Dairy yesterday. Got to see a lot of people. And, um, you know, it was kind of slow at first, but once a uh, pleasant union, Ronnie was over there cooking for them. Um, and, and the Bowmans were cooking up some Angus, and, and, and that, I think that food smell wafted over to the people on the other side. They started coming over. And then Dylan fired up the tractor, and I said, hey, you guys, you, you, are you going to the tractor? I said, here, um, let me tell you about uh, our church a little bit. <laughs> and we had these little fidget spinners as a draw. We handed those out and got to talk to a lot of people. We had some free bottled water. We handed out and said, here's some water if you need that. And, um, I, I, it, it was a good time yesterday. I, I enjoyed it. But anyway, I want to read to you from uh, Revelation 19. I can't think of a better subject um, um, on homecoming than, than the book of Revelation and its description of heaven. So beginning at verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage supper for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to decide or I'm sorry, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would. Bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Someone once said that a successful marriage requires falling in love many times and always with the same person. And I think that's, that's pretty true of marriage today. And, and you know, people who get married... You know, it's all about falling in love with the same person all over again, um, each and every day. And I think, um, you know, the Bible uses this marriage imagery all the way throughout. Because the, the image that, that marriage is supposed to give us is that, that to experience God's love that He has. God Himself is love, the Apostle John tells us. And, and all through the scriptures, of that marriage imagery is used to remind us of our relationship with God and how He looks at us and how He sees us. And how He sees um, his, his, all of His creation, potentially, but especially those who have given their hearts and lives to Him um, in, in reality. But marriage, you know, is, is a sacred institution. And we need to look at it as such because we have... 
um, so easily tossed aside nowadays. I mean, to the point where um, people don't even want to get married anymore. They don't want commitment. That, that they don't want the, the fulfillment that comes uh, with marriage. But, you know, the Bible, one of its central images all the way throughout is, is, is this marriage. A, 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 a marriage between man and woman and how it represents uh, the church's marriage to God that's going to occur one day um, when we least expect it, the Bible tells us, but it is coming. And so we need to be prepared for it. And one of the ways that we prepare for it, according to the book of Revelation, is in our worship. So as I noticed, and, and again, looking at this passage, it starts off with uh, the words, Hallelujah. Now, we don't really think about that term much because it's all over the New Testament. It's all over our worship. It's become something that we say all the time. But, but the word actually means uh, Yahweh save. Now, we tend to use uh, the English word Jehovah to, to talk about the name of God. But, but the old Hebrew word is, is Yahweh. And so those last three letters, Yah, um, is, is a shortened form of, of the name Yahweh. <clears throat> so what you're doing really is you're praising Yahweh, who is the one who keeps the covenant. Um, that's how God revealed himself in the Old Testament to Moses. He says, I'm the one keeping covenant with you. And he says it in, in, in this way. We translate it to English. I am what I am. Is <laughs> it's how it is the literal meaning of, of that of that name. Um, and he, he, it, Moses asked, who do you who are you? Who do I tell the people that you are? And he says, I am what I am. And so those four letters um, that that are, you know, whenever you see that in the scriptures, it, it's, it's Yahweh. And a lot of times what, what the um, translators did, because they, they were a little bit afraid to say the covenant name of God out of reverence, they'll say Lord, L-O-R-D. So whenever you see the, the word Lord in all caps, <clears throat> that's the covenant keeping God who makes promises to us. Yahweh is, is the way it's pronounced in Hebrew. Sometimes in the Old English we say Jehovah. Whatever it is, whatever you see, L-O-R-D in all caps in your Bibles, that's the covenant keeping God. He's made promises to us. And it and, and also says here that um, He is uh, the, the Lord Almighty. The Almighty God. He, he is over all things. His, his power is all complete. His power is, is over all and above all. He rules over all things. So if you've got a God who has made promises to us, and He is the God that's in control over all things and over all His creation, then He is the one who can make those promises come true, right? I mean, you and I can make promises all the time, but sometimes we might not have the power to enact those promises. But, our, but, but the covenant-keeping God, the promise-making God, because He is the Almighty, <clears throat> He has power and, and, and authority to make those promises come true and to make those things come about. And the Lord in history has made some great and wonderful promises to His people. He has promised them that He would save them. He has promised them that He would bring them out from underneath the slavery of their sin. He has promised to, uh, to, to dwell with His people. 
I mean, one of the main connections between the Old and New Testament is the fact that God promised His presence in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, His presence is fulfilled. Now, the thing that had to happen, of course, was someone needed to sacrifice Himself for us to make atonement for our sin. And we know that His Son, Jesus Christ, did that for us. But Advent, this idea that God would dwell with His people, that He would be with His people is all through the Scriptures, all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That's what the covenant-keeping God has promised. He has the power to enact it, and one day it will happen. It is a present reality for those who are believers today. We have the promise that the all-powerful, almighty God is going to welcome us into His eternal kingdom, and we will experience His love and, and His fellowship all the days of our life. Now, why should that be special to us? Well, because it also means that the, the end of sin has come. It means the end of wickedness has come. And with the end of wickedness, that means all the trouble and strife that you and I are going through right now, um, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, all that turmoil is going to disappear one day when God finally decides to enact His promise to dwell with His people eternally and uh, bring us uh, out from under the slavery of sin and, and uh, take away all, all that sorrow and all that, all that strife and all that, that evil. That is the great and glorious promise of God. That, that's the promise, I think, of when we talk about homecoming. Because one day we're going to be reunited with our loved ones who have passed away from all, in all of history. And why is that? Well, one of the things the covenant-keeping God promised us was a resurrection into a glorious future. Now, <clears throat> so often we talk about, and we, we sang those songs this morning, I'll fly away. When, when we pass away, um, our, our souls separate from our bodies and, and we go to be in the, with the Lord. But I can tell you that that is a temporary situation. The body and the soul, I don't think, were ever meant to be separated. I do believe that as believers, we are kept in Jesus Christ and, and, and will be with Him and, and held um, in His bosom to comfort us. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, we will. But the separation of the soul and body is not the end. <coughs> It's not, it's, it's not the final thing. In fact, I would even say it's a temporary situation. Because what's going to happen here that Revelation 19 describes is not only is, is God going to um, dwell with His people and cause us to dwell with Him, but He is going to do that with our physical bodies as well. A resurrection, we call it. The resurrection. Our our souls are going to reunite with our bodies in a new glorified and perishable form. And we are going to dwell with the Lord in, in, in reality. With, with our full self intact and transformed into a glorified new, new form. That is the promise that the covenant keeping God made even in the Old Testament. I mean, uh, one of my favorites of this is Isaiah 25, 6-9. How can we enjoy a feast with God when we don't have our, uh, our physical bodies in a new glorified form? But anyway, 
It says this in, in uh, Isaiah 25, 6-9. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, <coughs> excuse me, of aged wine well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Well, that sounds like Revelation. I thought that verse was in Revelation. Well, here it is in Isaiah. 400 years or more before the um, Revelation was written. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. And the reproach of His people will take away, well, He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. This covenant-keeping God a long time ago told us that we would <clears throat> um, be saved from our sin and also saved from death to be resurrected in a new glorious future with Him, to be eternally with Him, and, and, and to share in a, in a great feast of celebration when that happens. And, and I would say that, that the proof of this, because you know what, we don't have a blind faith in this. Our faith is never a blind faith. The proof that is, this is going to happen is Jesus Christ and His own resurrection. Right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the miracle of all miracles. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what all of this hangs on. Paul told the Corinthians, um, you know, that they were preaching a false doctrine. He says, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then basically you aren't real believers. <laughs> Everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The proof of God's promises are when the Messiah, the one who will set up His kingdom, came to earth, took on human flesh, dwelled among us, showed us how to be saved through our, our faith in Him and, and repenting of our sins. And then He suffered and died on the cross as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins. But three days later, He rose again from the grave. And later on, it tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, He promises us the same resurrection that He has. The proof of all this for our faith in, in order to believe it and, and our hope is because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so because of all this, and when we hear this invitation coming from the book of Revelation, that we will share in the great marriage of the Lamb. Verse 7, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. This great marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen at the end of history when all sin and strife have been wiped away and God resurrects His, His people and they go, go and join Him in this great 
consummation of history where, where we come together with him in this marriage feast of the Lamb and, 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 and you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are his bride, we will be with the Lord forever along with all the saints that have um, existed in history coming together for that great and wonderful feast. And so I, I just think about this and I think about how wonderful and glorious a promise this is. And I think sometimes we as believers, <clears throat> um, there, there's an author I love called G.K. Chesterton, and, he, and in it he says, um, as, as human beings, we have uh, sinned and have grown old and have lost our hope. Now he says that, that when God gets up in the morning, you know, he, uh, he brings the sun up and the sun goes down and a new day comes and, and goes. But, but every morning God um, brings, brings forth that sunshine and he says, do it again, do it again, do it again. He says, God is eternally young. But our problem is, is that we have grown old and we, we have sinned and we have uh, lost our hope and faith in God and, 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 and who He is. And so we trudge along in, in our lives, um, you know, not really thinking about the glory that awaits us in the future. And so uh, we, we, get, we get depressed and, and things get hard. And then we, you know, we lose a loved one or something like that. And, and, and we know that, that that's sad to lose a loved one. And I agree. But do we have the hope of, of the resurrection that we will see our loved ones again one day? Do we have the, do we have the hope in this again? As, as life just, just kind of you know, wears us down as we go along and, and we see the trouble and strife. I think about the news report that Michael showed me on his phone yesterday while we were at the uh, um, dairy having a good time and it was uh, the strikes that came against um, Israel in this terrorist attack. What a horrible thing to happen and, and, I, and I wish you know that I hadn't looked on Twitter later on to see some of the images that uh, the FCC will make them blot some of the images on um, the regular airwaves but if you get on Twitter you could, they're, they're right there and, and it was a terrible sight to see and I wish I hadn't, hadn't looked at it now. I wish I could unsee some of those things. But that's the trouble and strife that's in this world at this time. The, the, the great signs of, of evil are all around us. But God has promised us a glorious future with Him. And I would say what that leads to for us to do is, is that it gives us a call to worship. <laughs> it gives us a reason to worship. It gives us a reason to shout hallelujah. Even before this happens, even before it becomes a reality, in the present, the reason that we're given these words is so that we can say hallelujah right now. And I don't think we say it enough. Now, I'm not one to be exuberant in, in worship. But there are some things that ought to make us say praise the Lord and say hallelujah. And say amen. And I think sometimes maybe we're too reserved in our worship. But the fact of a great and glorious future coming that, that's been promised to us um, in God, through Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, where our, our, our own um, rescue is coming from all of this sin and all of this strife 
and, and, and all of this um, decay and all this morality, we're going to be resurrected and have a new and glorious body and we'll get to be with, with the Lord in this great feast day forever and ever, wed to Him the, the whole time, joined to Him as, as, as a husband is joined to his wife, and, and a, a great consummation of all history where, where we're together with, with the Lord for all eternity. That should give us a cause to worship. That should give us a cause to, uh, for praise. God is our great hope. We can worship because we have been saved from our sins and have been prepared for this great and glorious future in Him. You know, the word saint here is not just about people who have, you know, we think about the Catholic Church, you've done so many miracles, you've done so many good deeds, you've done so much charity, uh, and you might be venerated as a saint. That's not what it means. A saint means, means only this, somebody who has been saved and set apart for God. And if you have believed in the Son, Jesus Christ, and you have allowed yourself to be set apart by, by God, because it takes our will surrendering to Him too, if you've been set apart by God, then you have the promise of this great and glorious future in Him. You are a saint, according to, according to that definition. All the saints, all those who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, all who have been set apart by God for this particular time and place, we have a reason to praise Him. We have a reason to worship. Our worship increases our faith in God and our hope in this glorious future. We have great reasons to praise and worship the Lord. And also, when we worship with, with, with glad hearts and, and rejoicing hearts and shouting hallelujah because of what God has promised us, we proclaim Christ to the world when we do that. When we have a, a new person coming in, we have a visitor coming in, Maybe they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and maybe they, they don't know about the, the good news and, and they, don't, they don't know that they can be saved from their sins. But they're here looking for something or else they wouldn't be here. It's our rejoicing in worship that also proclaims Christ to them. I, I, I can't think of a better evangelism than, than worship itself. And so our worship needs to be true. Our worship needs to be um, exciting. Our worship needs to be um, praising and saying hallelujah to the Lord. Because we have great and glorious promises in Him. And I'm so glad today to call myself a believer in Jesus Christ because of His great and glorious promises. I'm glad to call you brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ as well. And so we come together in celebration of the promise of that great and glorious future. Really whenever we gather to worship together. But especially on a Sunday like this. Where we have our, our friends um, past and future. Uh, and, and now coming here to, uh, to be with us in the fellowship together. And to worship together. It, it should remind us of, of that great and glorious feast before the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we look forward to that in hope today. And I hope that's your hope today. I hope that's your hope today. 
I don't necessarily feel led to give an altar call today. But I do want you to reflect on this. Do I worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? And am I worshiping Him in gladness because of His great and glorious promises for this wonderful future that He's promised us in Him? And I hope that, that you're here um, on, on a Sunday, not just to reminisce with old friends, but to hold on to Christ in faith and to remember that, that we belong to each other because of what Christ has done. And one day we will be together in that great and, great and glorious future. And if you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus Christ today, if, if, if you want to see your, your family and loved ones again when you pass on, and if you want to be resurrected in this glorious, great and glorious future, the Bible says that all you have to do is ask the Lord for forgiveness of your sins, believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, and ask Him to come into your heart and life, and Lord, take over my life, and, and, and you pray that and God will answer it. And then, you know, you grow in Him by reading His Word and continuing to pray. But if you're sincerely seeking that in your hearts today, if you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, pray about that. Come grab me afterwards. Come grab someone else afterwards and ask them to pray for you because you want to make sure that your calling and election as Christ is sure so that you can celebrate in this great and glorious future. Let's stand.